Turn with me Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. We started last week to look at, uh, there's a few points that as Paul's concluding this letter of Rome to the Romans, that Paul is starting to conclude. He's giving the desire of the ministry. He's, he's talking about his continuing work in the ministry, spreading the gospel to the Gentiles. Uh, you know, as we know, if we put our minds, I know sometimes it's hard to early in the morning to to get our minds focused and, and everything in the context, the background, and everything that's going on as we open up a portion of his word. It's, it's, it's always good to put yourself in the place and the time where this was written. Uh, the Lord had just recently, in a big way, extended mercy to the Gentiles, and Paul was called to be the apostle to the Gentiles, and he talks about his office and his calling, and, and many times he brings that up in his, in his letters. He talks about how God is blessing the gospel in the Gentiles. And so Paul's main idea and focus is we see him in Acts. We see his missionary journeys, his first, second, third missionary journeys. And all throughout his letters is he has the desire to plant churches. You know, he wants to go and he even says that he wants to go and preach Christ where he has not been named. And what that means is confessed. Now, he talks about having gone and preached Christ to, to all the world, all the known world to Rome, all that area of the map to Rome. Now, does it mean that he preached to every single person who was alive on the planet? But we do know that Paul would strategically uh, put churches in the large cities. He would go to the large cities, preach the gospel, and there a church would be started, and then he would leave and go to another place. And then that church that was there in that bigger city would have the impact radius of evangelism around to the smaller churches. So that was uh, one of the, the main things with Paul as he is continuing his work. He's talking about establishing the churches. The goal we saw last week was verse 14 through 21. And really to understand, so we're going to be looking at verses 22 through 29. Paul wants to talk about his desire to visit them at Rome. But we need to really start in verse 14, uh, chapter 15 of verse 14. It says, And I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written the more boldly unto you in some sort, as putting you in mind because of the grace that is given to me of God. So this is going to be a little bit of a recap of last week to get us up to this point. That because of the grace that is given unto me, that Paul refers to that oftentimes as the ministry which God has given Paul. The, the grace that God gave to Paul was the ministry of the apostleship. So that is the grace that was given to me at the end of verse 15 that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. There's big, right? big. Now, Peter was the apostle to the circumcision, the apostle to the Jews. Uh, Paul was uh, admonished of the Lord and charged by the Lord to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And so that's big there in verse 16. But notice that word ministering. It's not the same word as minister that we just read in verse 16. Ministering is the idea of a temple worker, one who works in a temple. Anytime the word temple is used, the same Greek word that he uses here in ministering is also used. And so 
Paul had equated, now, he, now that you understand the temple work, the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. So you see that he's, he's using the temple, he's using kind of like a simile, just like a priest in the temple is the worker offering up sacrifices that are pleasing to God, uh, so also Paul is offering up the Gentiles in the same way. Uh, to be pleasing to God. But notice being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. That's where the power is. That's where God is doing the separation. God is doing the reconciliation of the Gentiles to himself being sanctified. So it's sanctification is God isolating a people to himself. He's calling them out from where they are to himself for a purpose by using the Holy Spirit. So verse 17, this is not lost on Paul. I have, therefore, um, I, ha I have therefore whereof I may glory through Jesus Christ in those things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed. So verse 17, again, it's not lost on Paul that the accomplishment and the results of what he's seeing is the power of God. It's the grace of God. It's the work of God, and we have to be very careful. Uh, we, can, we can be thankful and boastful about what God has done, uh, but it's not that we are boasting in ourselves. We're boasting in what God has done, and we should be humbled and, and know that at the best that you are, you're still an unprofitable servant, you know, according to the Lord. So uh, we're just humbled that he's using this, this vessel to do any of his work upon earth, and we need to be careful to give God all the glory. Um, not only is that the right thing to do because we love him, that's what we should desire to do, but you should be scared to death not to do it because we see all throughout the word of God what happened when people started giving themselves credit for God's work. Well, he struck Herod with worms, and they ate him inside out. So... Um, I'm just saying, don't, uh, you know, there's, there's a degree of love and a degree of fear too, you know, just be, uh, I would not want to give, take credit for the Lord's work. Verse 19, through many signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God that from Jerusalem and round about unto Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. I kind of skipped verse 18 a little bit. Uh, that end where he talks about that those things which Christ had wrought by me to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed, he's talking about the obedience of faith. So he's not talking about obedience to the law. He's not talking about obedience to circumcision or the Jewish customs. He's talking about the obedience of faith uh, because to repent and believe the gospel is a command of God and we must be obedient to that command and it's faith that we're obedient to that command. Um, so he says in verse 19 that he, is, he has kind of went around the whole, I mean, from Jerusalem to Illyricum is a very long distance, like a thousand miles, uh, that he said he has fully preached the gospel of Christ. Yea, so have I strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. So that is where I was talking about, where Christ was not named meant confessed. And so he, this is another indicator in verse 20, that Peter did not find the church of Rome. 
Paul is writing to Romans, writing to Rome as if they have not been established by an apostle because Paul did not want to go preach and preach upon another man's foundation. If a man had already established a church there, he's not going to go and want to plant another church. Uh, I mean, it was very, uh, Paul knew that there was a whole lot of space and a little, lot, a little amount of time. He had to hit strategic places to go. So another indication that Peter did not, you know, as the, the Roman Catholics will teach, that the, uh, the Church of Rome was built by Peter and the, Peter's bones are underneath it, and the Pope is the last or is the next apostle, and Peter was. Uh, so all of that, the the Catholic Church builds all of their premise and foundation on Peter the apostle building that place, and then the Pope that sits now seated there in the cathedral is the continuance of the apostles, and. Um, we know from the Word of God, if you were honest with the Word of God, you can see that that is not so. Uh, the, the gifts of the apostleships, the Lord's apostles ended with the Lord's apostles. There is no apostolic succession is what they call that. Uh, the Lord's apostles. Now using the, the apostles in the generic sense, it means messenger. So you could say that we're all the Lord's apostles in the generic sense. But the, the apostles whom the Lord called himself, and Peter gives the qualifications of that. You must have heard him, seen him, and been with him. Uh, those are the Lord's apostles, and those are the ones he gave signs and wonders to, and that they wrote the things that, which the Lord began to do and teach. Uh, but all of those things have ceased because we have the complete word of God. God had a reason to call the apostles, and that reason has been accomplished. It, there's no need for ongoing apostles because there's no new revelation. God's spoken everything through his son. Everything's final. And then what did the apostles do? With the Holy Spirit inspired the New Testament to write what Jesus said. And that's the final word from God. So there's no new revelation. Uh, like the Pope, when he gets up and speaks ex cathedra, he puts his hat on and said, I've got a new revelation from God. And a lot of these other places, um, like Mormonism and uh, Islam and all these prophets that appear to have received a word from the Lord, but it's Christ who has spoken and he has spoken last. Anything outside, anything beyond what Christ has spoken must be rejected uh, because it's not from God. And so that right there disqualifies all of these religions that have uh, men as their founder having some new revelation from God. All right, so as we keep going, uh, he did not want to build upon another man's foundation. Um, so we know that he's in the church planning, but as it is written, to whom he was not spoken of, they shall see, and they that have not heard shall understand. Okay, so verses 22 through 29, we're going to be dealing with the reason for Paul's desire to visit Rome. Paul's desire was for unity. And, you know, as we went through Acts, all of us, the last almost two years, we see that Paul's desire was for the Gentiles and the Jewish believers to have unity, there be harmony, that they love one another, receive one another. And so there was a lot of ways which Paul had strived to do this, whether it was the Gentile churches giving gifts 
to the poor Jewish churches so that uh, the, the Jews would receive the Gentiles. And remember what he just came off of, the topic of meats and days, how the stronger should receive or not um, despise the weaker, and how the weaker should not judge uh, the stronger. And so we see here that, first of all, in verse 22 through 24, we see that Paul's plan is to visit them in Rome. Now remember, like I said, context. Now at the end of Acts, do you remember where, Rome, where Paul was? Paul was in the Roman prison. Uh, there Nero's, right? Nero's palace. And he was there for two years. And then Acts ends. So in 60 AD, we have Paul in Nero's prison, uh, he wrote many of the letters, Colossians, Ephesians, Philemon, and um, there's another one. I, I forgot the other one. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll hit it here in a minute. But he wrote many of those in that, that span of two years that he was in uh, the prison and there at Rome. And then in 62 AD, it's thought that he was, he was let go. But in 66 AD, Paul was martyred. So he only had two years to do what he needed the, to do after that point. Uh, but we know that his desire was to come to Rome. So before uh, we see we're reading Romans. And so he wrote this letter in Corinth and he sent it. And we'll see who the messengers are here in chapter 16. Uh, but these are the messengers who sent the letter to Rome. But in verse 22, he says, For which cause also I have been much hindered from coming unto you. Now, he had been hindering from coming, look at that word for, because of his church planting that he just named in verse 20 and verse 21. Because the, the Holy Spirit had him having a work to do, the will of God was to plant all these churches. And so there's many times that, uh, you know, you can have a desire to do something, but ultimately we must obey what the Holy Spirit is leading us to do. His desire was to come to Rome. His desire was to go to Spain. His desire was to go to the uttermost, as Jesus had uh, commissioned them to do. Uh, but he said in verse 22, I'd been hindered, which is kind of, a, you want to read that word in a bad connotation, but he was just, he was not a, he's not been allowed to so far because of the work which he had been doing, planning the churches. Verse 23, but now having no more place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come unto you. So the Holy Spirit's opening up the doors now for him to make this trip to Rome. Um, and that, that was his plan. So in verse 24, Whensoever I take my journey into Spain, I will come to you, for I trust to see you in my journey and to be brought on my way thitherward by you, if first I be somewhat filled with your company. So we're going to stop here for a little bit and asked the question, did Paul ever get to go to Spain? Because that was his desire here. Now, again, we know that this letter was written when Paul was in Corinth. This was before he went to Jerusalem. So if you were to equate this in Acts, it was before Acts chapter 20, 
when Paul goes to Jerusalem. It's before Agabus warns him. It's before uh, those things. Um, 60 A.D. in Acts 28 is when Paul arrives in Rome. 61 A.D. are the last two verses in Acts. Actually, turn to Acts with me. I kind of wanted to do this when we ended our Acts series, but knew that we would be coming to this passage uh, in Romans. So I wanted to wait until now to kind of give us a timeline of Paul's journeys because we really stopped following Paul here when he's in the Roman prison in 60 AD. So look at the last two verses of Acts. He says, And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came and unto him. Now Paul was under house arrest in Rome. Uh, and he had to actually pay rent. Uh, verse 31, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. We are not ultimately told specifically whether Paul went to Spain or not. Uh, there are some writings that are out there. Uh, for example, uh, there is a man named um, Clement who was a pastor, a church leader, and in 95 AD, which is 30 years after Paul had been executed, he wrote this. He said, Paul had reached the farthest limits of the West. Now, to them in that day, the farthest limits to the West was the area of Europe and Spain, you know, where you have Britain and everything of that. So, uh, perhaps Paul did go to Spain. But here's the thing that we do know after Paul was released, remember he's only got two years before he's arrested in Troas, which is an upper, uh, it's kind of north to Ephesus. So here's Turkey, right? So Spain is way down here, and Turkey's up here, and then here's Jerusalem. We know that he's arrested in Troas in 66 AD and that he's beheaded in Rome. So he's sent back to Rome before Nero and beheaded. So if he did leave Rome after his two years were up, and remember Acts ends, so we don't go beyond. Uh, if he did go to Spain, then he would have had to have left immediately after he left Rome, went to Spain, and then made his way all the way to Crete. Because we know that he was with Titus in Crete. Uh, Titus uh, tells us that in Titus 1.5. And then uh, we also know that uh, he went to Crete with Titus. And then he went to Ephesus to be with Timothy. And then he went to Colossae because he said that he had intentions to visit Philemon. Now if you remember Colossae is, is way back here. Uh, it's getting, you're getting further and further from Rome. Uh, remember, Paul ends up in Rome in 66 AD. And then um, we know that he is arrested in Troas where he was arrested. So we, ultimately, we do not know if Paul went to Spain. Perhaps the Holy Spirit opened up the doors. But if, if you think if he went to Spain before he wrote 2 Timothy and before he, he talked about spending time with Titus and Crete and Titus. You would think that he would have mentioned, hey, when I left prison, I went to Spain. And then why was he there only in that small amount of time just to come all the way back? Here's, 
here's Spain, and here's Crete. Remember, it's in the middle of the Mediterranean. Spain's way over here. You're almost in the Atlantic, you know, uh, at that point. So uh, we're not really sure. Uh, maybe, maybe he did. Uh, I kind of, you know, and that's the thing is our plans aren't always the Lord's plans. And uh, we have desires, again, uh, that we have, but ultimately we surrender to the will of God and we look back on our life as Paul did in the Philippians when he wrote to Philippians when he was in the Roman jail. He said, all these things have fallen out for me for the furtherance of the gospel. He understood the providence of God in it. He was, you're not disappointed in the, the things that don't happen that you want to happen. Uh, you're never disappointed if you know you're in the will of God. And that's the happiest place to be. I don't know how many of you all have been outside of the will of God, but that's a very suffering place to be, is outside the will of God. Because uh, nothing, that's what Jesus told Paul, it's hard to kick against the pricks, you know. Um, where the Holy Spirit is steering you to go, and you start kicking against those, you end up just driving in those, those thorns a little bit deeper and deeper every time we try to rebel. But um, here in... Again, uh, come back to uh, Romans chapter 15 with me. So I had always intended, even when we ended Acts, to bring this up in Acts chapter 15 about Paul's desire to go to Spain. He wanted to go to Rome and then go on to Spain. But uh, Paul says this many times throughout his epistles in verse 24 of chapter 15. Whensoever I take my journey into Spain, I will come to you, for I trust to see you in my journey, and to be brought on my way thitherward by you, if first I be somewhat filled with your company. So this is a language that Paul uses often when he talks about when he visits the churches, that they will equip him with material things, with uh, substance, with uh, not only fellowship, but to be furnished by them, and that be brought on my way. He uses that exact phrase in Acts 15.3. He says, and being brought on their way by the church, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. He says, that ye may bring me on my journey whithersoever I go, 2 Corinthians, and to pass by you into Macedonia, and to come again out of Macedonia unto you, and be brought on my way toward Judea. And that really opens up the topic that he's getting ready to talk about, about how the church, you know, if we are giving spiritual blessings, I believe that those of the churches should also, it's not a hard thing, and it's, you know, it's actually actually a heart of love to return the spiritual things which we give with material things. Spiritual things that we give are much more valuable than material things. And it's not a lot to ask. Uh, if someone is laboring to give you spiritual things, that you return it with material things. And that's what uh, Paul is talking about. That is his mission of God. And so we will turn to that here in a minute. But verse 25, his immediate plans are to go to Jerusalem. But now I go into Jerusalem to minister unto the saints. So before he goes to Rome and goes to Spain and has all these plans, 
He plans to go to Jerusalem, verse 26, for it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. It hath pleased them verily, and their debtors they are. For if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things, or their material things. When therefore I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I will come by you into Spain. And I am sure that when I come unto you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. So we're going to stop and dissect these uh, verses for a little bit. That his immediate plans in verse 25 was to go to Jerusalem. Um, his duty was to relieve the poverty. And if you remember in our Acts study that he had went into Greece, he had went into Macedonia, and upper Greece is Macedonia, where you got Thessalonica, Philippi, Berea, and then southern Greece, where you have Achaia, where all these churches, the Gentile churches are. And verse, that's what he says in verse 26. He's collecting this gift of Macedonia and Achaia to make certain contribution. That word contribution in the Greek is translated fellowship in other places. For the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. Now this contribution, uh, the word for fellowship, and the same words in Galatians 2.9 when he says the right hands of fellowship, the Christians of Macedonia and Achaia wanted to participate in Christian fellowship with the saints at Jerusalem. Now, in verse 27, now, uh, we will, if we have time to turn there, Paul is, in many places, talks about this gift of giving, that it is a fruit and that's what he calls it in verse 27. It hath pleased them verily, and their debtors they are. For if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. When therefore I have performed this, and have sealed to them this fruit, I will come by you into Spain. That's an interesting way to phrase that. When he has finished giving the gift to the Jerusalem saints, then he plans to visit Rome. But he doesn't call it a gift. He calls it a fruit. What is he talking about? He's about the fruit of the Spirit. What's one of the fruits of the Spirit? Love. And what does Paul equate giving to as? Look at 2 Corinthians. Uh, turn with me. I really don't think we need to pass this up, just the weight that Paul puts into giving. Uh, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8 with me. Second Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. How, now, those are the churches that are giving this gift that Paul's getting ready to take to Jerusalem. How then in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. What that means is their ability to give without wanting return. Their ability to give without re pretense, with a motive. 
that means the riches of their liberality. Verse 3, For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship, interesting, or the contribution, remember how that word is translated, they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the um, fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God, insomuch that we desire Titus that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. What's he call it here? Grace. It's a God, it is a it is a gift of God that you have a giving heart. And verse 7, Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all diligence, and in your love to us, see that ye abound in this grace also. What grace? The grace of giving. Giving without pretense. Verse 8, I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others, and to prove the sincerity of your love. Now think about that in a deep kind of way. The fruit of the Spirit is love. What is a great way to prove the fruit of the, you have the fruit of the Spirit? Is to give away what you love, right? Now, most people love their money. Most people love their possession. Most people have worked their whole lives to get what they have, and they've collected what they have, and they have pride in what they have. Now, what happens if you start giving away what you have, hard, what you have worked hard to do, and everybody else on this planet Earth has the same exact love for their possessions that everybody else does? What happens when you start giving in cheerfulness and without pretense, and you start giving away these things that everybody else holds on to. It proves. It proves your love. And that is, I mean, it's a, it's a fruit of the Spirit. It is an evidence of the fruit of the Spirit. And so verse 9, he's, he talks, and he says, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for, his, for, yet for your sakes ye became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. And so look at... Um, Verse 12, this is how the gift, for if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. For I mean not that other men be eased and ye burdened, but by inequality, that now at this time your abundance may be a supply for their want, that their abundance also may be a supply for your want that there may be equality. I mean, the Lord puts us all in situations where we're providing for each other. He wants, you know, I mean, think about that. What greater demonstration of love is, here's a church, when I'm, when I'm low on supply, you're giving your extra that God's given you for my low supply. I mean, I thought I was going to get a surplus, but actually the Lord gave me this much money because I, he knew there'd be a need coming up. And so it just goes back and forth. I mean, and it's, it's just that's the equality he's talking about. I mean, don't give away what you don't have. And don't give away everything you have. Uh, that's not the point. Uh, in verse 24, 
He says, Wherefore show ye to them and before the churches the proof of your love and of your boasting on your behalf. And if you look at chapter 9, verse 7, he says, Every man according as he hath purposed in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth the cheerful giver. So not only are we to give, we are to give not grudgingly, not because we're forced to, but we, we give from a cheerful heart. Now, if you come back to Romans chapter 15, Paul calls that a fruit. When therefore I perform this, in 1528, when therefore I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I will come by you into Spain. What a ministry. What a, a outreach. And so we see that Paul, his ultimate desire is for the Jerusalem Jews and the Gentiles and the church to have unity, harmony, and understand that we're all in Christ and that the Lord may have mercy upon all. I mean, if you step even further back and look at Romans as a whole, isn't that what he's been doing the whole time? He's saying that the Gentiles have sinned, the Jews have sinned, all have sinned. All have come under the condemnation. All need to be saved. There will be no flesh justified by either the written law or the law that you have unto yourselves. God has uh, sentenced that all are sinful. All are under condemnation and all need his mercy. And so, as Paul had said, you know, really, where did the gospel start? Where did the church start? The church started with the Lord's apostles. That's where the very, those were the charter members of the Lord's church, were the apostles. And then it, the church of Jerusalem was kind of the mother church, though we don't report to any churches. Uh, it was the beginning of the corporate church. And then from there, the gospel spread. Think of all the hardship we saw in Acts, that how they were persecuted. And as uh, they were being persecuted, they were being spread out. And that's how the gospel went out. And it all started there, and that was Paul's thing. Is, it's a little thing that uh, those who have been blessed by the spiritual things that happened and started in this place, it's a little thing that we should provide them with material things. And that principle is taught all throughout. Those who uh, labor in the spiritual things, it is, um, it is a good thing for those, uh, for those people to supply them with the material things. And so... Um, in verse 29, and I am sure that when I come unto you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessings of the gospel. Knowing what awaited Paul in Jerusalem, um, he could have had anxiety, he could have had fear. Uh, we will talk more about that next week. That verse 30 through 33 is big. There's only four verses, but we're going to look at Paul's prayer request and how many times. Now, again, we know that Paul wrote to Rome when he was in Corinth before uh, Acts chapter 20, before when Agabus said the man whose belt this is will be bound in Jerusalem. Uh, this could be the time in Acts where the Holy Spirit was giving witness to Paul, the things that would happen to him, uh, the the persecution that would happen to him in Jerusalem. Remember, he had, that, he had that challenge in his life. 
that he knew that there was something awaiting for him in Jerusalem, but he was resolved to go. And he says, you know, I am not only willing uh, to be uh, bound in Jerusalem, but I am also ready to die. But you know that deep down there's a fear, there's an anxiety he had to have had, uh, where he he's pleads with them, pray for me. Pray for me that the Lord just continues to give me the resolve to live a life after his will. Jesus even comes to him and says, be of good cheer, Paul. Uh, when he was bound in, in chains and everything, he says, be of good cheer, Paul. As you have preached uh, me here, you also will preach in Rome. Um, but we know that Paul had looked at all of this, and it still amazes me, and just the maturity of faith when it comes down to the concern of other people's fruits. And that's what Paul was concerned with. He was not so much concerned about his safety, about this or that. Now, Paul had his desires. His ultimate desire, again, was to go to Spain, uh, go to Rome. He did go to Rome. He didn't exactly go to Rome the way that he probably thought he was going to go to Rome, but he did go. And he did preach the gospel there in Rome. But, you know, when we read Paul arriving at the shores of Rome, well, Malta, the shores of that, after that shipwreck, Paul never lost his integrity. You know, this may not have been what he wanted. I mean, that was through a lot of pain and suffering and fear of this hurricane that he went through. They barely survived. Talk about PTSD. But yet he, he, he never lost his integrity. He never gave up. And he just drew strength, continued strength from the Lord. And he knew that he was in the will of the Lord. How much strength can we gain knowing that? And when you know, when you have strength and you have confidence in God, knowing you're in the will of the Lord, you know he's going to supply all your needs and all your wants, that frees us up, doesn't it? To, to go and pray and hope that others are being fed and they, they are giving and they are having fruit towards God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Lord, thank you for this time that we come together to study your word. Uh, we pray for your power the rest of the day. Lord, we pray for your blessings. We thank you, Lord, for those who will be here. And Father, we pray your blessings upon them, knowing that it's been good to be in your house, to be fed, and to also worship with all our hearts. We pray for those who cannot be here, who are sick. And Father, we just, you know each one, you know each heart and each need. We pray that you be with them. Strengthen them, encourage them. And Father, if need be, convict them. Father, to return into your house. In Jesus' name, amen.